Well, thank you for your welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you. Good to see you all. Having heard about you and prayed for you, um, thank you for your welcome. It's much appreciated. As we come to God's Word, shall we pray together and then we'll read God's Word and I will preach from it. Let's pray together. Oh God, our Father, we thank you that your Word is completely true and reliable, that by it you call us, you have called us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by it you have saved us and you have built us into your church and you keep on building us. We thank you that in this time between the now and the yet to come, that you, through your word, speak to us and guide us and make us the people you want us to be. We know as we come to your word that we are unworthy to speak, even to listen. But we pray that you would carry us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may speak and listen and hear and understand and receive what you have to say to each one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's read. I'll, if you could uh, turn with me either to your sheet. We're going to read... Uh, we're going through a series on Galatians, as I think you know, and we've reached Galatians chapter 4. So we're reading from verse 8 to chapter 5, verse 1. So if you've got a church Bible, it's page 915, I think. So I'll read this to us. So this is Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, I am afraid I, have, I may have laboured over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, 
one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Sometimes it's good to give you the big idea of the sermon as we begin. And the big idea is that believing in Jesus and his death on the cross for us is all that we need to be saved from sin and death. In coming to faith in Christ, we are freed from the slavery of trying to save ourselves. And we are given the perfect freedom of knowing Jesus and through him of knowing God. Well, slavery, historic slavery, has been a big topic in the news this year, and rightly so. And no one who has been a slave and has been freed would ever want to return to being a slave again. So why did the people who first received this letter from Paul, the Galatians, want to abandon their freedom in Christ and go back to the slavery of trying to obey God's law on their own. Slavery we think of as being something physical, being made to work for no money or little money, being confined in a certain place. But other things can enslave us today. Work or pleasure or family or tradition or money or position or power or fame or reputation if one of these things controls us and dictates to us what we should do, then we are not free. I'd like to look at three things from the passage. The first is coming to the true God, from chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. And then receiving God's truth, and then freedom in Christ. So coming to the true God, chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. Paul says in verse 8, that the Galatians have come to faith in Christ and through him they have come to know God or to be known by him. 
That is, to have a relationship with God. But before that, the Galatians had come from a background of pagan worship. And pagan worship is controlled by what Paul calls in the passage elementary principles of the world. And these are demonic powers. Ultimately, they're controlled by the devil. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. The devil uses these false gods for harm for us. And in any kind of religious practice, you're either worshipping the one true God of the Bible, or you're worshipping the devil. And the pagan Greek gods, the Greek gods of classical mythology that these Galatians would have worshipped, were used by the devil to control them. But by their faith in Christ, the Galatians had been set free from these false gods. And so have we, if we have been called to faith in Christ. But having come to Christ and having been set free from those things, the Galatians are about to turn their back on God, abandoning him, even after being rescued through faith in Jesus, even after coming to know God personally, being adopted as sons, coming into God's family, being given the seal of the Holy Spirit and the inheritance of salvation and everlasting life. And they are about to throw away all of that. Even their own salvation, won at such great cost by Jesus on the cross, they are about to walk away from the family of God, to be once again strangers to God, at enmity with him, and under God's righteous condemnation. And their betrayal this time is not in worshipping pagan gods, but in following false teachers, the Judaizers, we might call them, those who said that in order to be saved, we need to obey the rules of the Old Testament Jewish ceremonial law. And that also is slavery, the slavery of trying to save ourselves by our own works, of trying to earn our own salvation in our own strength and on our own merits, the slavery of Christ plus, Christ plus something else, saying that Christ didn't do enough on the cross, but I need to do my bit as well. I need to complete or add to what Christ did. In the old days, if you were traveling to America, I'm old enough to remember this. You, I'm not quite old enough to remember this. I'm doing myself an injustice. You couldn't fly. Very few people flew to America. If you wanted to get to the United States, you'd travel on a ship. On an ocean liner, it would take about 10 days. It's about 3,000 miles from either Southampton or Liverpool to get to New York City on an ocean liner. So imagine you were on an ocean liner. People still travel like this today. Imagine you're on an ocean liner and halfway across the Atlantic, you fell overboard and someone threw you a lifebelt for you to hold on to, to keep you afloat, and so you could be hauled back onto the ship to safety. What would you say to the person trying to save you? What would you shout back? Would you shout back, actually, it's okay. The ship's got me halfway across the Atlantic Ocean and I can swim the remaining 1,500 miles myself. I'll be okay. But there's no way you could do it. To refuse being rescued would be madness. It would be suicide. And Paul says that trying to follow the Old Testament ceremonial law to try to earn our own salvation is like that. 
It's saying Jesus hasn't done enough. He's only got me halfway. He made a good start, but I need to finish my salvation myself. I need to follow God's law to complete Christ's work on the cross. It's saying the cross is okay, but it's not enough. The problem with the, the false doctrine of these false teachers, these Judaizers, is not just that it's hollow or empty, but that it will lead the Galatians to destruction. And all that the Galatians had previously accepted, that faith in Jesus is all you need to be saved, that we don't contribute in any way at all to our salvation, they would throw that away. The truth is that what Jesus has done for us on the cross is sufficient for us to be saved. There is nothing lacking in what he achieved on the cross. And the only way of being saved is by faith in him. And these Galatians had come to faith in Jesus. But now they are being persuaded that Jesus has only got them part of the way. They need to swim the rest of the Atlantic Ocean themselves. But we know they'll never make it. In fact, the practices the false teachers want them to follow are as false and dangerous as what the Galatians used to do in worshipping pagan gods. These Judaistic practices are also things that are not God. They are also worldly principles and structures. In verse 10, Paul refers to days and months and seasons and years which were all part of the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament set up by Moses. So these Judaizers, these false teachers, are not offering them just to take on a few optional extras. But in pursuing these practices and rules from Judaism, the Galatians would be turning away from God's promises of salvation and blessing that were theirs only in Christ. And it would be as if they had never heard the gospel. So that in verse 11 here, Paul says that he fears that his labours over them would be in vain. That their coming to Christ would be thrown away, that it would all be for naught. Trying to obey the Jewish ceremonial law to save themselves would mean that they would forfeit their standing before God as justified by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. They would go back to the same kind of slavery from which they have graciously been set free by the true God through the, through the completed and fully sufficient work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, let's look at receiving God's truth from chapter 4, verses 12 to 20. So on that basis, Paul, from verse 12, appeals to them. And he refers back to the time when he first was amongst them and they first heard the gospel and came to know Paul. Although when with them he had suffered from what he calls a bodily ailment, some illness or disease, whatever it was, they nevertheless received him and received the good news of Christ that he preached. In fact, it may be because of this illness that he preached to them perhaps because he was detained by it to be amongst them. But they did receive him and the good news of Jesus, the great truth of God that he preached. So in, 15, in verse 15, when Paul speaks of their blessedness, 
That is the sense of joy and divine approval the Galatians had when they believed the gospel that Paul preached and came to faith in Christ and received the Holy Spirit. It was a first taste of the great freedom and joy we have in Christ. We sang about it in one of our earlier songs just now. And their commitment to God was such that they would have done anything for Paul. He says they would even have gouged out their eyes for him. That's obviously an exaggeration. If somebody asks you to gouge out your eyes for them, I would suggest you refuse. But that's the level of their, the intensity of their acceptance of the gospel and their joy in it. Recalling that, Paul entreats them, he begs them in verse 12, to become as I am. And this is not pride on his part. He is not saying that he's perfect. But he's saying that because he is living by faith in Christ alone, trusting that Christ alone has saved him from sin and death, and he is free from following the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, they should be like him. And he had showed this to them already. As he says, when he lived amongst them, he lived like them. He lived as a Gentile, not living under the Jewish ceremonial law with all its requirements. And he says to them that he is still preaching the same gospel. In verse 16, he asks if he has become their enemy when he is still speaking the same truth of God to them that they received when they first heard him and received the gospel and came to faith. Paul's message and his ministry have not changed. So there is no reason for the Galatians to change their view of him or of God's truth. Paul also contrasts his own ministry with that of the false teachers, the Judaizers, who have been flattering the Galatians, but not for a good purpose. They only want to receive the Galatians into their exclusive club if the Galatians agree to observe Jewish ceremonial law so that the Galatians will heap praise on the Judaizers in return. They want a nice little comfortable mutual admiration society, we used to call it. But Paul says if they do that, that will shut them out from the promises of salvation that are in Christ. Paul says it's okay to be made much of for a good purpose, but not for something bad. Paul has a great love for the Galatians. And he says that he is in anguish over them, as a woman is in childbirth. Because in spite of everything they had received, it's as if they need to go back to the beginning. To be born again once more, to receive Christ by faith again. Until Christ is formed in you, Paul says. Until they have come to a reliable and stable faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is all they need to be saved. Let's look then at freedom in Christ, the third area, from chapter 4, verse 21 to chapter 5, verse 1. When we come to faith in Christ, we come into God's family. Earlier this year, the footballer Christian Ronaldo was transferred from Real Madrid to Manchester United. He doesn't belong anymore to Real Madrid. He belongs to Manchester United. Before he was transferred, he was not at Manchester United, but now he is at Manchester United. Those of you who know me know that I know very little about football, but this I'm hoping, trying to explain something. To some extent, that is a picture of 
what happens to us when we come to faith in Christ. We also were transferred. We were outside God's people. It's not just that we didn't know God, but we were strangers to God and enemies of God. We were the opposition. We were playing for a different club. We were playing for Real Madrid, if you like. Now, I should again be clear, I'm not against Real Madrid or in favour of Manchester United. I'm trying to explain something. In coming to faith in Christ, our sins were forgiven and we were reconciled to God and transferred into God's team, made members of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, made part of the family of God. Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes that by faith in Christ, God qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When we come to Jesus in faith, we are transferred from being opponents of God into being part of his kingdom, from darkness into light, from being strangers to being part of God's family. How would it be if next Friday evening before the match on Saturday, Ronaldo rang the Manchester United manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and said, actually, I've decided to go back to Real Madrid and I'm going to turn out for their team tomorrow. I'm not going to play for you. What would he say? He'd say, what? But you've left them. You're part of us now. You can't do that. But that's what the false teachers wanted the Galatians to do. And Paul sets this out not as a contrast between two football clubs, but between the families of two women who bore sons to Abraham, as we read in our first reading from Genesis. And those were Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian slave. And Paul writes to the Galatians in verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, that is, you who are going to try and save yourselves by obeying the Old Testament ceremonial law, he said, why don't you listen to the law? That is, the Bible itself. The first five books of the Bible were called the law. Paul's saying to them, why don't you look at God's word and see what it actually says, so that you can at least try to understand what you are about to do. And the basis of what he says is the division between these two women. The Galatians need to understand this because it matters which side of the divide between the two women you are on. To be in Sarah's family is life, but to be in Hagar's family is death. Back in Genesis, as we were reading before, God had made a covenant, and a covenant is a formal agreement. And he made this agreement with Abraham, in which the promises made to Abraham were those of salvation that he would have his own son, and that that son's descendants would be very many and have their own land and would be a blessing to many. And in return, Abraham agreed to trust God. But Abraham was old. It makes me feel old just to think about how old he was. But in the passage we read he was 100 years old, and Sarah, his wife, was in one commentator's words, past the age of bearing children. 
I think if you're a lady who is 90 years old, you'd probably think the same. So they took matters into their own hands. And Abraham fathered a son with Hagar, Sarah's slave. And that son was named Ishmael. Then God fulfilled his promises. He always does keep his promises. And Abraham and Sarah had their own son, whom they named Isaac. And the covenant promises God had made to Abraham passed down through Isaac and his descendants, all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the requirements of the covenant, so that the blessings of the covenant are given to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're given to you and me as well, not just to these Galatians. And Paul says in verse 24 that this may be interpreted allegorically, as an allegory. I didn't especially want to talk to you about allegories, but I'm going to have to because that's the word Paul uses. What is an allegory? An allegory is a story that has a symbolic meaning. It's, a, it's an account of something or a story that represents something behind the story itself, something beyond the story. If you spoke to most Christians, they would say, think of a famous allegory. They would say, John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress. That is certainly an allegory. It's about a man escaping from his own city, which is being destroyed, and traveling to the celestial city, the beautiful city, the great city. And he faces many dangers along the way. If you haven't read it, Try and read it. It's a great story. But it's also an allegory of the Christian life. Behind the story that we read, we see what it's like to live as a Christian today. The dangers, the challenges, the difficulties, and the great things as well. Paul says that the events around Sarah and Hagar, from where we read in Genesis, from chapter 16 of Genesis onwards, show us something beyond the events themselves. And Paul sets out the great division between these two women, who he says represent two covenants, two formal agreements between God and man, with promises and obligations. Sarah, Abraham's wife, represents the covenant of grace, God's promise to Abraham that faith in God would be accounted as righteousness. To be under that covenant of grace is only possible for us, by faith in Christ, by relying on his death in our place, bearing our sin, by his setting us free from the law and its demands and from the curse of sin and death, to enjoy the benefits of God's promises of forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul describes Sarah as the free woman and her son Isaac was born through the promise of God. God had promised he would be born. And he inherited and passed on to his descendants the covenant promise of God's grace given to his father Abraham. Paul says that Sarah represents the heavenly Jerusalem, which Paul describes as the mother of those who are the children and heirs of God's covenant promises, free under the covenant of grace because they believe and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. By contrast, Hagar represents the covenant of works under which you can only be saved if you obey God's law in full and perfectly, which is impossible to do. To try to do so is to opt to be a slave. Hagar is described as the slave woman 
And her son Ishmael was born not according to the promise of God, but according to the flesh, according to self-centered human desires produced by sin. Born into slavery, the slavery of humanity, to sin and death. Ishmael did not inherit the promise of God. Hagar is described as Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, because Sinai is where God gave the law to Moses, the law which no one can keep in their own strength and on their own merits, and under which all who do not rely on Christ's perfect obedience for them are condemned under God's righteous judgment. Hagar is the present Jerusalem in slavery with her children, the present Jerusalem being filled with those who are enslaved by trying to earn their own salvation, an impossible task, rather like the man who fell off the ocean liner and decided to try and swim 1,500 miles to America. So through this allegory, Paul tells the Galatians what they have become through faith in Christ. Now, women are very important in the Bible. They're very important to all of us. We will have a mother, at least. Very important in the Bible. So Abraham is our father in the faith, we might say, but it matters who our mother is. By faith in Christ, the Galatians are Sarah's children. In verse 31, children of the free woman, part of God's family. They have been transferred into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they must not follow these false teachers. If they do, it will be like leaving the family. You wouldn't leave your own family. It would be like leaving God's people and becoming enemies of God. Under the curse of the law, they will give up their freedom from the power of sin and death. They will become slaves again. Can't you see this, says Paul? Can't you see what you're doing? Like the man who fell off the ocean liner. It's madness. It's suicide. It isn't easy following Jesus. Freedom has come at a great price the price of the life of the Son of God. And the Galatians shouldn't expect things to be easy. They should expect persecution, and so should we. In verse verse 29 of chapter 4, Paul says that just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, and just as Hagar conceived and looked with contempt on Sarah, so now these false teachers and their followers will persecute those who continue to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 27, Paul quotes from Isaiah 54, that those descended from Ishmael, born according to the flesh, enemies of the gospel and of God, will be more in number. So we shouldn't expect life to be easy. What should the Galatians do? Paul says in verse 30 of chapter 4, quoting from Genesis, Cast out the slave woman and her son. Cast out the false teachers, the Judaizers, Have nothing to do with them. Put them out of the church. Get rid of them altogether. If you don't, it's you who will be back in slavery. It's you who will be cut off from salvation. This is a very clear warning and a stark warning. Those who try to earn their own salvation, even in part, will face the final judgment without being in union with Christ, without being able to rely on his perfect life for us and his completed work for us on the cross. Christ has set us free so that we can be free not to go back to being enslaved by something else. 
In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul wrote, For freedom, Christ has set us free. He has set us free so that we can be truly free, free from being slaves to those things that are not God's. They might not be bad things in themselves, career and money and family, but if they have come to be what dominates us, what enslaves us, we must set them aside to put God first in our lives, to know God more and more in his saving grace, in his forgiveness and his love, so that we can serve him and glorify him and grow in our faith and in our love for him. Stand firm, Paul tells them. And he tells us too, don't go back to slavery. Don't let these other things dictate to you what to think or what to do. Don't let them enslave you. Don't let anything take you away from being free in Christ, in whom we are saved and in whom we are part of God's family. In coming to him, we have come to the true God. By God's grace, we have received his truth and he has given us freedom in Christ, the perfect freedom of knowing God and being known by him and of following Christ each and every day of our lives on earth and into eternity. Let us not throw that away. Let's pray together. O God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us, that you have called us to yourself and to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by whose perfect life and all-sufficient death you have saved us. We thank you that in coming to Christ, you have made us sons and heirs and brought us into your family and into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus and the wonderful freedom of knowing him and through knowing him of knowing you. We pray that you would give us the strength and wisdom to set aside anything that would take us away from you or that would enslave us. We ask that you would enable us always to put you first in our lives, that we may know you more and more and love you more and more each day, so that our faith and joy in you may abound to your glory. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. Well, our final hymn is a great hymn of Charles Wesley, rejoicing in the fact that we have been saved by the Lord Jesus. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? So let's stand together and sing. Mm-hmm.